I want to begin today with a name. See if this name sounds at all familiar to you. So the name is William Owen Smith. William Owen Smith. Do you recognize it? So chances are pretty good that you don't. But I, I'll tell you that what you might recognize is actually the fruit of his labor, specifically a tree. The tree has uh, showed up of late on our televisions, in fact, more than once. You'll find it located on the island of Maui, Hawaii, where it stood for about 150 years, spreading its branches across Lahaina for tourists like me to stand under. After all, you can't visit Maui without taking a picture underneath the tree, all of which has made the wildfires of this summer all too real for everyone that's ever taken their picture under the tree. First and foremost, all of us are saddened by the loss of life in Maui, suffered uh, three months ago, remember August 23rd, the wildfires, followed by grief, fell for a town, burnt to the ground, and added to our sadness all the pictures of that great big banyan tree standing 60 feet in the air, its arms reaching out to cover two acres of earth, that beautiful tree, seemingly burnt together with everything else. Dead, some have pronounced it. But is it? Is it dead? I don't know if you're aware of the history of Maui's banyan tree or not, but its roots actually do trace back to the name of the man with whom I began today, William Owen Smith. Smith planted the tree April 24th, 1873. If you don't know his story, he was a son to parents who arrived as missionaries to Hawaii in the year 1842. At the time, Hawaii was viewed as an island apart from faith in Jesus Christ. As a missionary, Smith grew up recognizing what it means to endure difficulties for one's faith. For him, life as a young boy was not easy, but it was meaningful. Often his parents would instruct him in their belief that it was God who brought them to this little island. He had brought them, they would tell their young son, with a purpose, to help others discover the love of Jesus. With his parents gone, Smith would go on to plant the banyan tree on the day the church celebrated 50 years of ministry to that island. At the time it was planted, it stood a mere eight feet tall, but oh, how it grew. Along with the faith, the tree's limbs grew upward and outward all the way to the day the fires came. So, is the tree dead? Some continue to ask. Yes, limbs were charred, his leaves stripped away, but the answer came suddenly. There is new growth on the tree. Out of what looks like death, there has come life. Reminding us, of course, of another tree, one meant for death, yet out of the tree on Golgotha, there has come life, and the limbs of faith continue to spread. Let me tell you why I share this story today in our God Size Living podcast. I want to introduce a word that may or may not be familiar to you. The word is diaspora. Diaspora. Does it sound familiar? Diaspora. The literal meaning of the word is the scattering or the spreading. And it's found in the first words out of Peter's pen as he writes the book that we know as First Peter. Today, I want to, I want to pick up where we left off last week, if you weren't with us. Let me just tell you, we're in the opening chapter of season two of this podcast. Season one, we spent time looking at one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. 
And I'll, t- I'll tell you, given the events of our day, I don't think you can find a more prophetic book than Daniel's. It is eerily accurate to the events that continue to unfold before us in the news and around the globe. That said, I, I don't think that you'll find a book more preparatory for what lay ahead for those who follow Jesus than First and Second Peter. Here's why I say that. Every prophetic book in the Bible indicates to us that as the church moves forward into the last period of time, it will find itself more and more to be living in a condition of exile. Christians in the last days will know earth is not our home. It's passing away and passing quickly. As we enter these last days, I believe that Jesus will do what he does best. Into the world, he scatters his church, including you and me. Today, I want to spend a little bit of time exploring what does that really mean? What does it mean to be called a scattered one of God? So let me tell you, one of the things that got me thinking about uh, the words of Peter today is an older but classic book written by Chuck Colson titled The Body. The book was published in 1993. And let me suggest if you've never read it, I just encourage you to. How many of you remember Chuck Colson? Remember Chuck? In the 1970s, he was one of the most feared men in Washington, D.C. His nickname was literally the Hatchet Man. That's the role he played for then-President Richard Nixon. It's interesting to me that during his political reign, he was described by the media as ruthless. In fact, one media outlet suggested that he bordered on psychopathic, stating that he was incapable of humanitarian thought. If I could say it simply, Colson was just the kind of guy that Jesus would pull up next to and engage in conversation. After all, his, Jesus' specialty is conversion. And when you read the Bible, you become aware that most of the people that Jesus converted were those the world loathed and considered unredeemable. People like Matthew, a tax collector, the prostituted woman at the well, even a Roman centurion at the cross, and then There is Chuck. In 1974, Colson entered a plea of guilty to Watergate-related charges. Convicted of obstruction of justice, he entered Alabama's Maxwell Prison. It was there that he met Jesus. I have to tell you, Chuck Colson, the man who emerged from prison, was akin to Paul that emerged from his days as Saul. Colson's conversion was dramatic. In fact, in 2009, he penned as principal writer something called the Manhattan Declaration. If you've not read it, please Google it and do. The Manhattan Declaration stands probably as more important today than it was in 2009, a call to the church to defend a Christian worldview. In his book, The Body, Colson calls on the church in the U.S. to leave behind what he calls its church mentality. Calling upon scripture reminds followers of Jesus that we are placed into the world for one and only one reason, and that's to bring the gospel to the world. As you read the the book, there's a word that begins to stand out. The word is diaspora, scattered. Colson would suggest that to look at the church as it's positioned throughout the globe is to recognize that there is someone who stands above her. That someone is a seed scatterer, the literal translation of the word diaspora. And that seed scatterer has not thrown his seeds out randomly, 
But should one take time to study it, they would find intentionality. Said simply, Jesus has sown his seed in this world in such a way as to reach its very ends with the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. I believe this is what we're hearing Peter speak to us as First Peter, the book, begins. I'm going to read the opening words of First Peter. I want you to listen carefully to them. Try to hear what Peter's speaking to as he begins to address the body of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, and his time. Let's just pray. Lord, would you give us your wisdom as we open this word? Here we go. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, diaspora, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I'm going to stop for just a minute and take these words apart and following, move into three broad observations that I believe make this scripture so relevant for us today. So what is Peter telling us in these opening words? I find myself three things to be significant. First, Peter identifies who this letter is for, the elect exiles of the dispersion. These words are significant. Why? Well, first is the word exiles. Peter is saying, church, I understand what it must feel like to live in this period of time. Peter would say for a long time, Christianity or following Jesus has been culturally acceptable, if not at times preferable. Rome has provided the church with a safety net, allowing it to function in a protected status. As a result, Christianity has grown. The churches have become a larger and larger percentage of the Roman census. Yet, one thing the church has not done a good job of, it has not left its safe borders to reach out into the greater world. That is going to change. As Rome has begun to persecute you, church, blaming you for the great fires, you have been removed from that place where you had the safety in Jerusalem. You've been scattered into places like Pontus, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And not only have you been scattered into these unfamiliar places, but you continue to be pursued by the Roman authority. Everything, and I mean everything, feels different now. It feels like you've been exiled into a strange world. But I want to assure you that this is not bad. In fact, it is exactly what God has willed. How do I know that? Well, it's our second word in the scripture, the word diaspora. I love the word. Most literally, it means dia or through plus spora, spores or seeds. Through seeds, through seeding, God will grow his church. He is the seed scatterer and he has scattered you church into what feels like an exiled world with the purpose of your spreading the seed of his word to the very ends of the earth which of course takes us to the third word meaningful in this scripture, the word elect, elect. Listen to it again. Quote, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Here's what that means. Peter is saying, church, not only has the seed scatterer scattered you into unfamiliar and uncomfortable places, but he, listen to this, determined the exact places where he would scatter your specific seed 
In other words, church in Pontus, you're not simply placed into Pontus randomly. No. From eternity itself, God knew that this persecution would take place. And he determined that your seed would fall into Pontus. This is the place where you are called to spread the seed of the word. The same is true for you, church in Cappadocia, and the same for you, church in Bithynia. Oh, and guess what? The same is true for you and me today. It's true for me as an individual. It's true for the local church that I'm part of. And it's true for the global church. There is not one person or church in this world that is not exactly where God determined it would be, and he determined it from eternity before the world was ever made. By the way, I have only one word for this. Wow. The way that God works is beyond comprehension. Something incredibly significant, I believe, begins to happen inside of us when we understand these words. We begin to recognize that God has placed me where I am for a purpose. In the battle for souls that's taking place all over the globe, he's placed me into a specific family that lives in a specific neighborhood that exists within a specific community that in turn is part of a specific state which resides within the specific nation called the United States. You, me, all of us as followers of Jesus, living in a state of what feels like exile, have been intentionally scattered exactly where Jesus wants us to be and for the purpose of bringing people into relationship with Jesus. So what are we to do with this? And the time I have left, I want to make one high-level observation and then come down from that high level and ask some specific questions. I want to put some questions in front of us that allow us to just wrestle with this word diaspora a little bit. So let me start with an observation. When I get up and above this scripture today, I'm struck by the way that Jesus acting as the seed scatterer works. Specifically, I'm struck by the notion of election that we are who we are and where we are, not of our own will, but because of God's election from eternity. And that election has occurred on three specific levels. The first, I'll simply call the cosmic level. By this, I mean that before time began, God chose which seed he would scatter into which frame of time. The church that Peter is writing to was intentionally scattered into a time frame that would be difficult. No one living at the time that Peter wrote his book would choose to be scattered into the living hell that persecution would become. Yet God, before time was born, said, this is where I want you. Think about this with me. Every single church that exists today exists within the exact time frame that God chose for it prior to creation. We may not like the time frame within which you've been scattered, but we don't choose it. He has which leads me to the next level. I call it the ecclesiastical level. In the Greek language, the word ekklesia means church, literally the called out ones. Here's what I believe, based on Peter's words. I believe that God has scattered you into the church that you're part of quite intentionally. Not only so, but he's also gifted you in particular ways to play specific roles within the church that you're part of. To read Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4 is to recognize that the gifts that you possess are not ones you chose, but ones that he has chosen for you for his purpose. Chuck Colson would suggest that the church operates at its best 
when the parts of the body come together to serve the greater call of bringing people who are outside of Christianity into a relationship with Jesus. Then finally, there is the personal level at which Jesus works. That you are where God has scattered you. That your seed, the word of God that you share, might bear fruit within the when or the time frame and the where, the place that God has positioned you. Which leads me to a couple of questions with which I'd like to close. First, recognize that Jesus, the seed scatter, has placed you within a specific time frame. It is significant. I believe it is. So what specific word or words from God seem to be needed in the time that we're living in right now? What, what word of God applies to this frame of time into which we've been scattered? Question two, think about the locations into which you've been scattered, your family, your neighborhood, your community. Are there some specific people within each of these that the Spirit is calling you to bring His Word to right now? I just had a conversation with a young man this, this weekend. He told me about one of his extended family members who had been a professing follower of Jesus Christ and then came out on social media and said, I, I don't believe the Bible anymore. I don't believe in Jesus. I said, how will you respond to that family member? You've been scattered into this family. How will you respond? Who are those people in your life that God is calling you? Then the third question, think about the spiritual gifts that God has given you. If you need a point of reference, turn to Ephesians 4 and read it. How are you using these gifts today toward bringing the gospel to others? Well, let me close with this thought. When I, when I was a young man, my mom used to use the phrase, maybe yours did too, scatterbrained. She, of course, used it derogatorily. She would, she would look at me and I would be moving from one thing quickly to another thing and to another thing. And my mom would say, Luke, stop being a scatterbrain. Yet as I think about it, Maybe, just maybe, being scatterbrained is not a bad thing. Not if we come to recognize that we are all scattered and for a reason that others might come to know Jesus. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining me as we begin this second, second season. I'm looking forward to continuing our, our journey through First Peter. Um, I'm just going to continue to pray for you and your families. I know we live, we're living in some pretty crazy times right now, and I covet your prayers for me. Until next time, have a God-sized week.